Welcome to the Good Listening To show on UK Health Radio with me, Chris Grimes. The feel-good show that brings you The Clearing, where all good questions come to be asked and all good stories come to be told. And where all my guests have two things in common. They're all creative individuals and all with an interesting story to tell. There are some lovely storytelling metaphors. A clearing, a tree, a storytelling exercise called 54321, some alchemy, some gold, some Shakespeare and a cake. So yes, who are you, what's your story and what life's lessons learned along your way would you like to share with us? So, welcome to a GLT with me, CG. See what I'm doing there and we're recording. Are you sitting comfortably here? Then we shall begin. Welcome to a very exciting episode of The Good Listening To, Your Life and Times with me, Chris Grimes. And I'm absolutely delighted to bring a a lovely, I mean, just take a look at him if you're also watching here on on Facebook Live, uh, a lovely man who we've got history, which I'll explain. But this is the lovely Lawrence Knuckles, also known as Lol Knuckles. And uh, presumably if he knocks at the door, it's Lolly Knocks. See what I did there? Um, also, you are a, a wonderful human being. We've got history in that you've been extremely helpful to me with various creative projects over time. But you are the co-founder, which is why I wanted to talk to you, of Mango Stone, which is a wonderful uh, company, a creative hub in the centre of Bristol, or the heart of Bristol, as you call it, because I think you're a really good storyteller. Your model and prop makers par excellence. And what Try. I loved when I was researching you this morning, is you have the expertise and experience to make it happen. Yes. Yes. And uh, I'm, I will let you speak in a minute, but I'm just going to blow some yeah. smoke at you. Uh, I've yeah, certainly yeah. experienced your expertise because actually we've got history in that when I first met you, there was someone called Liz Banks out there and her lovely partner, Max, as well. And um, they introduced me to you because I was making a short film called Knock Knock. And then you turned up to craft as a sort of prop making uh, design, a very special uh, bespoke front door for me that had to detach and be in two halves. Then subsequently you did something called the old style music hole. You designed a oh, hole for me. about that, yes. A lovely, you know, yeah. so here we are, history coming full circle. Welcome to my Zoom hole. But you did a, you did a, a music hole and yes. it was a lovely sort of cyclorama for, for a character or two called Turnip and Flange that I did back in the day. And then you also produced me extraordinarily an extra large wheelie bin for another slightly weird comic endeavour I was doing called Stan Trolley. Yeah. It was a washed up jokeaholic clown in an extra large wheelie bin. And why he was in a wheelie bin is he could have been a comedy contender. He could have wheelie been somebody. <laughs> anyway, so Lol Knuckles, Lawrence Knuckles, what would you prefer, by the way? I know that I know you as Lol, but... It's a funny one, isn't it? Um, I, I guess I've been, you know, my friends have been calling me Lol for about 20-odd years. Uh, when I first called that, coined that name. Um, and then professionally, I'm still, I'm still struggling with it, actually. I sort of, you know, so, so yeah, I, I guess professionally at work-wise, I introduced myself as Lawrence. Um, and then if we become friends, it's Lol. I don't know. It's, it's a strange... I'm it's such a, it, Call it's me we're friends so that's fine and it, it is a name that keeps on giving because also history now winding forward at the beginning of the pandemic and we've been doing it for 18 months now you've joined me on the facebook group which where we're going live actually now called hashtag yeah. lol virus for those watching lol is a co-administrator and you've been incredibly effusive and incredibly helpful with not just you know echoing and and i suppose amplifying the posts but you've also been contributing a lot and, and joining in 
Well, I, you know, it was, it was lockdown was a bit strange, wasn't it, to say the very least. And um, it just struck me as a really, really capital idea to do something like that, seeing as we're all stuck at home, just to have something at the very, you know, on one level, just something uplifting that all gives us a bit of a, bit of a laugh, actually. A sort of lol on the daily. And here we are, lol yeah. on the daily. Here he is. And, and there have been some really great, some really great laughs on that, on that page, actually, but also some really uplifting things as well. So it's not just, not just uh, laughs, is it? There's some, more, you know, I think you've been particularly good at putting on some really, lovely pieces on there so yeah no it's nice it's jolly nice it's uh, and it's, it seems to keep going um, and indeed we we are doing this um sort of we booked this for a second time because i know you've also in terms of storytelling which we're going to get on to but i know you've also had to run the the roller coaster of covid yourself and your family personally as well yes indeed Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, that was quite recent, actually, uh, towards the end of July. You know, having hidden from this beast for 18 months, it came to visit. And uh, my lovely wife, Dee, and my two daughters, Grace and Lena, all got it uh, pretty much around the same time. And I didn't somehow. I don't know how. We all did PCR tests. They were all positive. Yeah. I was negative. So uh, when we spoke last time, I was uh, currently living downstairs uh, with the dogs. And taking taking food orders and <laughs> grocery orders by text <laughs> for all the patients who were confined into their rooms. Yes, um, you know, and that went on for a good couple of weeks, and uh, it was very strange. And I hope you're all fully recovered now and all the right way up again. You look you're looking very well yourself this morning. Thank you. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, we're all, we're all back to it, so that that's great. But it was just, yeah, no, it was a very strange time. I have to admit, but um, yeah, no, we came through it and we're okay. Came through it just in time to go on holiday to Wales. So, hooray. That was nice. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to run you through the storytelling, lovely, juicy metaphors of the Good Listening To show. We're going to talk about right. your clearing, first of all. Yeah. And as you're such a creative individual, you know, prop making continually, you know, creating magic, I'm going to be very intrigued to know where that is. And then yeah. within your clearing, sort of waiting for Godot-esque, I'll arrive with a tree, shake your tree, see which storytelling apples fall out. And then there's the exercise, five, four, three, two, one, alchemy, gold, cheeky bit of Shakespeare. And a cake, please. So there's lots to play for. <laughs> Hurrah. So, yes, also there'll be a deliberate invitation for you to talk deliberately about Mango Stone and where people can find out more about you at the very end. OK, great. And I know that you started uh, Mango Stone in 2017, partly because I'd given you lots of experience of prop making myself. And that was with Tony Tarquini, if that's how you spell that. Tarquini. 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 And I, I have a fancy of you going to work with him going, hey, Knuckles, get over here. Um, because of the sort of sound of, Tarquini knuckles. I stopped doing that quite quickly. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Temptation, I have to admit. Right, let's yeah. get on with yeah. it. So, uh, just before yeah. we start, there's a slightly surprising question, which you weren't expecting. So, how's morale? What's your story of the day? Please, Lawrence Knuckles. Oh, gosh, I wasn't expecting that. How is morale? What's my story of the day? Um, I think pastures new is my story of the day. Actually, I came back from uh, our, our holiday in Wales to an extremely busy workshop and quite a tight deadline on a little job that we were doing for art and animations. Um, and so everything had to be put to one side to get that over the line, which we did on Monday, actually. So we had yesterday to recover, clean the workshop up, and now we're looking at new things. So uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a constant roller coaster. this kind of making things for other people's business. And um, yeah, and so it continues. So, and yeah, so no, me lots of surprises as to what's coming through your door next in terms of your next creative embarkation. Always always surprises oh my goodness me yes absolutely yeah which is which is which is why we love it so much you know I, I think I probably have a very very low boredom threshold and um yeah I don't have a chance to ever get bored because I literally as you say don't know what's coming through the door next sometimes yes. we do but rarely 
Yeah. And I know that you're, you're incredibly experienced because not just doing the work for me, you've been at Pinewood Studios as well. So you yeah. are very immersed within property throughout the film industry, but also for exhibitions and all that shablang, which you can talk about later as well. Sure. OK, so welcome to The Clearing. This is the great segue now into the uh, structure of the good listening to your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. So uh, Lowell Knuckles, a uh, wonderful human being. What is a clearing like for you? Where do you go, literally or metaphorically, in order to get clutter-free and able to think, please? Do you know what? I'm undecided and I remain undecided about it. Actually, I think my initial knee-jerk response to this was, it's my workshop. I've always wanted my own workshop. Now I've got one, I love it. And quite often I will spend a good hour or maybe half an hour at the end of the day just being on my own in that space, tidying up, making sure it's all great. And maybe sometimes just sitting there and absorbing the fact that it's all around me and um, that's great. But actually, whilst I'm sat here with you in my lovely garden room, this is, this is a separate kind of clearing, um, which is, you know, nothing to do with work. This is all to do with fun and family. Um, so I've got two clearings. Is that greedy? I don't know. No, but I think I... for the purposes of this conversation, maybe the workshop is, is, is where I spend most of my time. Um, this lovely thing you see behind you is, is a fairly recent addition. But, um, so there's a lovely but, sense of presence in that you seem to be happy wherever you are and you, you've, you've, you're living the dream because you've actually created then your perfect man cave, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yes, kind of. It's not very much a man cave. It's quite a lady cave at the moment, but that's OK. I don't mind <laughs> that. I'm surrounded by women in my house. Um, in fact, I am the only man in my house. You know, I have a lovely wife, two daughters and two dogs, both of which are also female. So I'm Can the, I just uh, congratulate you for the expression? Here we are on Lol Virus, Lady Cave. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> and moving on. So <laughs> I'm about to drive now with, sorry, back to you. You look like you're about to say something well, else. about. Well, yeah, no, you touched on happiness, actually. And that's something I'm probably going to revisit quite a lot over this conversation because that's, that's quite an important thing to me. Um, and I think that's, you know, uh, the key to life. And a lot of people sort of maybe think that's a bit of an add-on that comes on afterwards. I think that's probably more of an important thing than most people realise. It, it certainly is. And, and by the way, lovely storytelling so far. Loving this. So <laughs> are, do you agree with the sort of metaphorical man cave, as, whether that's there or at your Mangostone studio, where I can arrive with a tree now waiting for Godoesk yeah. to shake your stories? Yeah. So I'm arriving at the, at, the, at the opening of your man cave as opposed to your lady cave. I'm not going to say that anymore. So I'm at the entrance to your man cave. I'm going to shake your tree now. And this is where your storytelling apples fall out. Okay. And you were kind enough to have prepared before we spoke. This is the five, four, three, two, one exercise. Yeah. We've had five minutes to have thought about four things that have shaped you, three things that inspire you, two things that never fail to grab your attention. And I quite enjoy at this point um, saying, oh, squirrels borrowed from the film up. Uh, this is uh, two things that never fail to oh, grab your attention as the monsters of distraction that operate around us all, and then a quirky or unusual fact about you. So uh, don't panic, Mr. Mannering. You don't have to shake the tree in a wanna, but it's over to you now to shake your foliage in the canopy of your tree. Gosh, that's quite... It, it, it's a really... I don't know how you write at this list of questions, but it's uh, but they're quite interesting and they do provoke thought, actually. And, um, yeah, I, I guess the first one, I think the first one, you know, things that have shaped me... Uh, being an only child, I think, has shaped me quite a lot. Um, that's, you know, not something that's, you know, uh, I think the only child, I really thoroughly enjoyed being an only child, actually. I think a lot of people go, oh, are we an only child? But actually, no, I really enjoyed it. Didn't have to share my Christmas presents. Uh, <laughs> as, as I could tell, most of, my, most of my friends were constantly warring with their siblings. Never really had any of that. You know, I had a very calm kind of upbringing in, in, in South London with mum and dad. And it was, um, 
it was great. But I think, yeah, being being an only child, I don't know how that shaped me, but it must have done, um, I suppose. And what do you, both your parents, what, are they still with us? And what did they do? What did Sadly, they do? no, no, they, uh, no, they, no, my, my dad died uh, quite some time ago. I was uh, in 1991. I was about, I was in my early twenties and mum died about three, four, three or four years ago. So, um, but they both worked from home at the time. I had a very happy childhood growing up in South London. My, my folks were both illustrators. So, you know, I grew up in a creative household. My dad had a studio at home and he was at home the whole time illustrating uh, natural history books mostly. He did also do oil portraits for, for, of, of people and, and sometimes animals as well. Um, so you had an early formative experience within a sort of studio environment, a workshop. Very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up drawing and painting. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I did as a, as a child. And as an only child, that's what I would do. I had sketchbooks that, that go back years. Um, yes. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, making little things, making little models. Yes. Going painting, I'd have a little chair next to dad at his desk. That's what I did. And it is an astonishing array and gallery of, of property you have made. Obviously, we're going to invite people to look at the Mangostone um, website later on. But it, it's really, really inspiring. I mean, you, you inspired me directly. But of course, now you, you, know, you do that on an epic scale, I know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, back to you. Uh, happy being an, a, a, an, an only child. Uh, yep. Very happy being an only child, very happy upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, uh, and I've sort of tripped into the other one, which is having creative parents. And I think that was, um, that's obviously been quite formative for me, actually. Uh, I've never really had the um, the inspiration to sort of go and get a job and work for someone for the rest of your life, which no longer happens, but did probably in those days in the 70s. Um, yeah, it's maybe seems to have given me a little bit of a, a wider horizon than some of my contemporaries yes with the idea uh, of a freelancer's muscle to flex because it's it's scary for many because it's swimming away from the reef till it gets really cold whereas actually there's great courage in swimming out from the reef and then the world is is much bigger as you know being the world is your oyster yeah but i, I have to say that took me quite a long time to discover that actually because uh interestingly both my parents actively campaigned for me not to be creative as a profession uh they were illustrators as i said they worked from home they were they were always in work, um, but I think in the er in the early days of my of, of my dad's career, he was in advertising. He was one of the original Mad Men in uh, in oh. the late fifties, early sixties in in London, and he sort of got out of that game because he really wanted to to be an artist and to 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 paint and be an illustrator. And uh, one of his friends uh, had a publishing company and employed him um, pretty much constantly after that. But I think there was a little bit of regret in that step because although he really thoroughly enjoyed his work, a lot of his friends who remained in advertising ended up being extremely successful financially. Yeah. And of course he didn't because he was a, an illustrator. And so I think they were very much of the minds, hey, Lawrence, what you need to do is, you know, this is great and everything and makes you very happy, but you know, why don't you go and earn some money, get a yes. proper job, don't go to art college, at all go and get a job in sales or with a state agent or whatever you can do yeah um, so they got slightly they got slightly scorched with the creative endeavor so they wanted to protect you from that. I, think, I think yeah exactly um and it was only really after after my father died in in sort of the early 90s when i kind of it dawned on me actually that you know, the important thing in this life actually is to be happy and enjoy what you do for a living, having done a number of years in various kind of sales related jobs and not really enjoyed them very yes. much. And I thought 
uh, I began to learn something about myself, which is if I don't enjoy what I'm doing, I'm actually rubbish at it. Mm. And I need to enjoy what I'm doing on a daily basis. Otherwise, I just lose interest. By and way, so a, a creative endeavour quote I heard recently, which could be familiar to many, but it's um, in any creative endeavour that the quote is writing a book of poetry is like dropping a rose petal into the Grand Canyon and awaiting an echo. <laughs> Yeah. So it is a risk to be creative, but sometimes it can absolutely come back with, you know, hey, rose petals akimbo. You know? It is, you know, and it was, you know, I, I didn't have any plan, actually. You know, I just went to it was interesting because um, I was it was after my after my father died. Uh, it was it was a real blow, obviously, because there was just the three of us. There was me and mum at home and dad was no longer there. And I was in my early 20s, 22. And how old was your father, if you don't mind me asking? He was 76. So he was, he was quite, you know, he, he was, um, yeah, my parents were older than, than, yeah. than uh, a lot of people my age. So I was born in 1967. Dad was 52, uh, which is only, you know, a year or so older than I am, uh, younger than I am now. I can't imagine mm -hmm. having a new child at this age. Yes. Um, to be honest, I think I was probably a bit of a surprise. Hello. <laughs> and we're very happy you're here. <laughs> um <laughs> and so yeah and uh where was I going with that yeah so he, yeah um and it sort of it, it, I went off to Canada I went traveling I had a friend of mine who was in Canada said hey look you're having a really shit time why don't you come out over to, to Canada and I'm in Whistler which is this ski resort in well, yes I know yeah. a beautiful place and I went over there and I skied uh or learned to ski and I got a job as a cleaner uh just to sort of fund my way through doing that and um I went it was a bit of a strange path into uh, art college because uh, I was, uh, how shall I put this? I was in Canada on a tourist visa and I was working. Okay. Uh, back in the days when you could do. And World so, exclusive. Uh, <laughs> so the, the, this lady who ran, I was sort of running the night crew of this cleaning company doing bars and restaurants in Whistler. And this lady really wanted actually me to work for her properly. So she said, we need to get you a work visa. Uh, and the way to do it was to come back to the UK, enroll on a course to be a student, come back on a student work visa for six months, and then she would sponsor me and that's what I would do. That was my plan. Um, and so I got onto the only course that I could in those days, which was a foundation art course at, uh, at Bower Ashton, having no intention at all of intending, uh, attending the course. That it was purely um, a mechanism for getting me student work visa in Canada. So and was it a profoundly brilliant course that changed your life by that happy coincidence? As it turned out, yes, it was. Wow. So we tried to get the extension of the work visa and all of it, and that didn't happen. So I came, yep. so plan B, come back, go to art college. And it was amazing. It was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. I did this foundation course, and it was just incredible. Um, absolutely loved it. And I thought, okay, well, I'm here doing this foundation course. I want to get, let's go and do the degree thing. But I'd like something I can earn a living at. I'd like a job. I was thinking maybe graphic design or something like that. And my tutors were sort of shoving me towards fine art because, you know, clearly, you know, sculpture or thing. I was thinking, no, I want a job. <laughs> <laughs> I want a job. I don't want to be a sculptor. How on earth will I make a living? Um, and I, I eventually found this degree course, which had come from Darton. It was in Barraston and it was called Art in Social Context. And it was, it was a fine art based course. But because it was in social context, it needed a reason. I, I had a slight problem with the whole fine art thing at the time, which, you know, I didn't really, you know, a lot of it I thought was a bit wayward. Um, 
a bit of a, a, bit of, a tiny bit of itself, possibly art for art's sake, etc. And I thought, well, giving something a context was great. Yeah. Um, and I did sort of a lot of site-specific sculpture. I seem to remember sort of aping Andy Goldsworthy all around Ashton Court for a number of years. Um, and, so but how did you get uh, from from Canada and being from London to to Bristol? Was it Bar Ashton that brought you to Bristol? Uh, no, no, no. My folks moved down from London to Bristol when I was about fourteen. Ah, fine. Um, completely aside of that, we'd always we'd always uh, holidayed in the West Country and okay. in illustrators they could work anywhere. Um, and they eventually took the plunge. Well, yeah, when I was fourteen, which I yeah. was really cross about, actually, because you know. That's a very good shaping thing as well, isn't it? About when our parents make choices to move. When? I haven't even got going here and you're moving. Oh, yes. I'm in South London and we go to, well, it wasn't even Bristol, actually. It was, it was uh, Tew Valley, South of Bristol. We moved to Ubley, yeah. which is beautiful, but not somewhere a 14-year-old wants to live, particularly. Did you say Ubley? Ubley. Yes, no. my, my, my previous agent was based in Ubley. Excellent. It's a lovely Sorry. spot. Ubley so is a lovely, jubbly, jubbly... Ubley. Not somewhere that a 14-year-old from South London is particularly pleased to be. Shall we say, yes. <laughs> Shall we say. So that's what took me there. But anyway, um, yeah. So um, back to your tree. We're in there shaking it away. You're doing lovely yeah, stuff, so this, by the way. So this course, Art Social Context, the great thing about it, and the reason I chose it was because it had a work experience slot. And I thought, OK, well, let's see what work experience I can get. And there was a company, still is, a company in Bristol called Codstakes, uh, who at the time made all the sex props and models for Arvin Animations. They were at, at those days right next door. And I got a two-week work experience slot with them and round peg in a round hole. And um, I went back to, I, I was working for them before I graduated, in fact. And the rest is history. You know, I couldn't believe that was a job. They're paying me to make little sets, props and models for the likes of Wallace and Gromit, et cetera, et cetera. And I love that. The, the, every, I, I love that expression you used about round peg, round hole. So your soul was chiming. I have found my purpose, which yeah. could indeed get yeah. onto alchemy and gold later on when we get there. Well, yes. I mean, I think the thing that I was struggling with at art school was the fact that um, it's an awfully long journey and, in, and an inward journey, I think, to sort of to be a fine artist, to be to, to discover something within yourself that you feel strongly and passionately enough about to create art. And I didn't yes. really have that in me at the time. Yeah, and yeah. I just found it a huge relief and much easier to respond to someone else's brief. A lot of the time they have a, it might not be a resolved drawing, it might be an idea or something, yes. you know, and say, can you help me achieve this? And then I sort of, you know, the enjoyable bit is taking that, running with it, making it your own during that process. Um, and by the way, that's very exciting as a description of your process. I mean, I, I do remember coming to you with that extraordinary, you know, this is just one example. But when I came to you, I need an extra large monolithic sort of 10 foot wheelie bin. Yeah. And you, you went off and you did it. And of course, I don't think any there's probably never, ever been one made ever before of that scale. I often wonder what's, what's happened to it, actually. Well, I think you didn't you arrange for some puppet company to take it, it off was, me? It was, yeah. So it was um, stored at uh, a place called Scary Cat. Uh, my my uh, my good friends Gary and Cat, uh, who had a company called Scary Cat, who were in paintworks for many many years. Yeah. Uh, they're still going, but they've moved, they've moved out down to Somerset now, and they they stored up that for a number of years because we thought that's got to be useful for something. Somebody's uh, going to need an extra large wheelie bin. In fact, we can probably do a big shout out if anyone knows where that bin is. Get in touch because it used to absolutely. be absolutely yeah, maybe a slightly on. weird character called Stan Trolley. Awkward. Yeah, maybe back to on. you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so they store that for a number of years, and I don't know where it is now. But um, yeah, exactly. But that, yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing that immediately sort of ignited me about this particular line of work is the fact that you know I don't have to be here generally 
generating all these wonderful ideas. There are people out there generating them. They just need help to realise them. And yes, that's people with no idea how to make it happen. And that's what you yeah. do. Yeah, Love that. yeah, absolutely. And I didn't know that immediately, obviously. I spent the first probably five years of my professional career doing things that were entirely brand new to me, working with materials yes. I've never worked with before uh, and so on and so forth. And actually, that still happens. Yes. You know, people come to me and say, oh, can you make this? I go, yeah, sure I can. But, you know, yeah, you don't yeah. So it's so lovely that have you got an example of something like this you've made before? I've got no, never been <laughs> done before. Yeah, yes. well, you know, yeah, exactly. It's um, it's lovely that sort of raison d'etre of make it happen. Um, it's great, and, and also I, I love the fact that your journey, as you said, it's a long journey. M- Mangostone is only circa 2017 when you finally found your home, if you like. Absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah lovely. Great stuff. It, well, it, yeah, it was it was quite a long journey actually. I mean, I was I'd been working in Bristol probably since you know mid nineties um, up to about sort of twenty thirteen, and you know I was doing set building, model making, prop making in Bristol for various companies and project managing for various companies. And the whole reason for doing work outside of the film business is that in those days, which doesn't seem that long ago, 2013, but there we are, Bristol was very much, you know, it seemed a little bit of a small town. It's not London, you know, it's a bit feast and famine, that line of work. So actually the way to sort of even out those troughs was to look at doing retail displays at Christmas, doing yep. um, visitor attractions and theme park work because they have their calendars, you know, Easter's very busy, summer's very busy. And then there's film work that, you know, hopefully you can even all of that out. So I was across all these different areas. Um, but yeah, no, I got this, I got this kind of gig up at Pinewood uh, working on a big uh, Ridley Scott movie, actually, uh, as a sculptor, which was just amazing, grueling. <laughs> was that the Blade Runner 2014? No, no, that was uh, it was a movie called Exodus. Uh-huh. Um, Exodus, Gods and Kings. So Christian Bale, I believe, is in that. And uh, yeah, I was one of three senior sculptors working for an amazing guy called Roland Stevenson, who um, has, has got such an incredible um, list of movies that he's worked on. Absolutely amazing. I mean, he is a sculptor and he's an HOD props guy and just prolific in his work and also an extremely kind person, actually, I have to say. Um, I got up there, uh, you know, from Bristol, having worked on sort of art animations and small stuff. And then we were in this workshop right in the middle of Pinewood Studios, quite an in- intimidating environment for, for someone to turn up to. And uh, as I say, I was only one of only three senior sculptors in this in this uh, department of thirty makers, I think altogether. Yeah. And he said, "Right, you, can you make this this statue here? You know, it's quite a big thing, and uh, all the rest of it." And I said, "Yeah, sure." And off I go, and I'm right in the middle of the workshop, and feeling quite intimidated by it all. And I think the first day I started putting clay on, I think I put a it was a seated sculpture, and I think I've made a foot. and I went home with large portions of the fear inside me and he took me aside the next morning and said you know are you okay you seem a little you seem a little out of your depth here you know and I went yeah you know I am I just you know I'm used to sort of smaller stuff this is a bit bigger he said look you'll be fine I've seen your portfolio you'll be fine just throw clay at it you'll be absolutely fine and and, you know he was right He, he you know he, he was, that's what I mean by what, what a kind guy he was. I think a lot of people in his position could have said, get out, you know, I'll get someone else. You know, it, yes. it's quite a hard-nosed environment to be in that. But he still found the time to be a little bit nurturing and yeah, go, yeah. you know what, you're going to be fine. And thank God I was. Um, what's his name again? It's lovely to amplify someone who's been awesome. Roland Stevenson. Roland Stevenson. Yeah. Lovely man. Wonderful. As indeed are you, by the way. And indeed, you are kind as well. What we tend to find attractive in others, we are doing ourselves often. It's I called suppose. reciprocity, as you know. And, yeah. you know, 
I, I'm, you know, sincerely, I am grateful and want to amplify you for being incredibly kind to me on all sorts of creative endeavours. So right back at you. Back to you. Well, yeah. So uh, and then and then this other sort of uh, uh, job reared its head, which was uh, opening this uh, workshop on behalf of Pyman Studios, which is a prop making workshop. Uh, they came to visit me at a company I was at in Bristol at the time. It was the financial director and the, the business development guy came down to see us in Bristol. We were very excited. What do Pinewood want us to make? Um, <laughs> the answer was nothing, actually. Uh, we're Pinewood Studios, they said. They introduced themselves. We rent our space out to uh, film productions. But a number of our tenants are doing quite well, thank you very much, servicing these film productions with various creative services, prop making being one of them. And so we haven't got the expertise for prop making, but we have got the facilities. So we're looking to partner with someone, would you be interested? And the company I was with at the time, I, I guess weren't actually, they were, you know, they, they, they'd been in Bristol for 20 or 30 years at the time. They were very happy here, thank you very much. And as I say, coincidentally, I've got this job at Pinewood and I bumped into one of these, these suits that had come and um, stayed with us, uh, visited us, a bloke called Jeremy Michaels. And he did a bit of a double take, said, wait, why are you here? I you worked <laughs> well, I'm freelance and slightly tongue in cheek. I said, when, when Ridley Scott phones, I, I, I drop everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he said, OK, well, look, I haven't heard back from these guys. Maybe you'd be interested in coming on board for you know, a three-month consultancy period, you know, three days a week, and just you know, hashing together a bit of a plan for this, for this prop-making workshop. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we did that. So that's what I started to do. And then it turned into Pinewood Creative. We, 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 we presented our, our plans to the board, and they said, great, go for it. And they gave me this swanky sounding job, head of Pima Creative, and gave me what was then the Carpenter's Mill, which is a 30,000 square foot workshop, uh, wow. with about half the budget that I reckoned we needed in order yeah. to do what we needed to do. And yeah, and run with that. And I did that for three years. And that was amazing. It was... So now um, you've done project management on an epic scale in, in well, starting yeah, to do the foot of a statue. It was, well, not a little bit uh, of a step up. It was a huge step up from being, you know... Yes. Running, running sort of small jobs at a small model-making company to being at Pyman Creative and, and uh, Pyman Studios with all the all the big films and, and productions that are around at the time. Uh, but I think I quite quickly realised that actually, yeah, I know just as much about prop making as anyone else there. And so it was okay, actually. And it was, it was a very, it was a very interesting three years. It was quite challenging. It was quite intimidating. Um, it was very corporate, actually. And I'm hearing a coming of age of your own confidence. Finally, you go, do you yeah. know what? I've got this. Yeah. I can do this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and so that's why it got to about three years. To be honest, that kind of getting up at half past four on a Monday morning and sneaking off out of the house up to the, that M4 on a Monday morning never got any easier. Yes. It, your soul it, wasn't chiming the nearer you got. Well, a lovely there. house and family here in Bristol. I never see them. Uh, I've got all this stress and pressure, and I think when, when I got to the sort of the three-year mark, I thought, you know what? Actually, I think I need to go home. And okay. so I did. I just came back, and it was a bit. It was a real shot in the dark. Actually, I just I just quit Pinewood. It wasn't. It was the timing was interesting because Pinewood had been just recently bought by by an individual uh, who turned it from a PLC back into a private company, uh, and they're property managers. You know, there was always this expectation that we could never really make them enough money. Yes. Uh, and, and, and the job we do is quite costly. You need to employ people, you need to buy a lot of materials, you've got to carve your margin out of every job. Yeah. They could actually just sit back, rent this facility to Disney, and make more money than 
we, we are doing, which is in yeah. fact what, now what they're doing. So I kind of <laughs> saw that coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I quit and I came back to Bristol and um, that's when Tony phoned me up. So Tony and I had worked together for a number of years in Bristol. Uh, his background is set building, carpentry, art direction. He took, uh, I would say, he would, he would agree with me to say, he took a slight sort of backseat career-wise uh, in, in previous years. His, his wife, Holly, runs the, the Bath Film Festival. So she's a very busy, busy lady. He said, well, you do work full-time. I'll have my little workshop at home and look after the kids and do the, the school run. And yeah. that's what he did. And now his children are slightly older. So he said, he said to me, look, I, what are you doing? You've, 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 quit, you've quit Pinewood. What are you doing? And I said, yeah, well, I've, I've had enough of that. I want to set something up. And he said, well, I'm looking to get back more into do some more work. Uh, what are you thinking of? And I said, well, I've got this idea for something called Mango Stone. So this is a name that I thought of in 1997 when I was on holiday. With, well, I was traveling with my now wife, Dee, and we were on a beach in Honduras eating mangoes. Oh, and I turned to her oh, and I said, just I, have to I love that. I love that. Honduras <laughs> eating mangoes with my future wife. Eating mangoes out of a bag. Actually, they were peeled, cut up in a bag. And I was sucking on this stone. And I said, if ever I have my own workshop, I'm going to call it Mango Stone. Epiphany, just, Mr. Knuckles, right there. It took me literally 20 years to register that company name. Luckily, no one else had. <laughs> and I love the name, by the way. It is absolutely. Thank you. Suck on yeah. that stone. I yeah. love that. Pretty well. So, so he said, "Well, you know, do you, do you want a business partner? Should we do this together?" And I said, "Yeah, that would be great." Oh, um, by the way, can I can I have a mango stone T-shirt? I really like them. Of course you can. <laughs> Just thought I'd get that live in public. Okay. Thank you. I should be wearing one. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh no! Give me one. I'll wear it. No, they're very nice. So, thank you. I got ah, that. No, That's what I did there. <laughs> So um, wonderful storytelling stuff. I've got to manage the time because we're actually, this is lovely and we're about 11, 12 minutes yeah, no problem. So um, uh, it's wonderful if there's, it doesn't matter what's overlapping here, but you've, you've, you're giving me who's inspired, what's inspired, and even being on the beach in Honduras is inspiring. So this is delicious. Don't worry about any overlap. But where would you like to go in your canopy next? Well, I would like to move on slightly, but I would also, there is one other thing that has defined me, which is quite important to talk about, I think, which is dyslexia which I am. And actually, most of the people I work with, I've noticed, are as well. Uh, and I think many of your creatives um, on, on uh, been on this previously, and many, many creative people are, in fact, dyslexic. Um, That's and such an was, astute observation. That's brilliant. Yes. It's something that I've noticed over the years. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's something that's, like, you know, when I was at school in London, my folks sent me to private school in London, uh, and I was just, you know, I've still got my old school reports. You look back through them and you say, yeah, this guy's, his handwriting's all over the place. His spelling's appalling. His maths is rubbish. You know, he must be stupid. And that was, that was, I've got a bit of a thing about being called stupid because I was labelled that uh, at yes. school in my, in my early years. And my folks were very, very supportive. And they said, he's clearly not stupid. And I don't know how this came about, but they, they, when I was, probably eight, maybe even slightly younger, they sent me to St Thomas's Hospital in London who did a series of tests over about a three-day period. And they came back with the results, which are, this young lad is something called dyslexic. We'd never heard of it before. And oh, really, what is that? It was described as having a poor sequential memory. Um, they also did, interestingly, they also did an IQ test at the time. So I think my IQ at that time was 155. Good grief. That's like that's that. up there. Good grief. That's so I understand. <laughs> so yes. we can then go back to the school and say, actually, he's not stupid. He's got dyslexia. That's what this is. And he needs a bit of support. 
I think it's uh, that Einstein supposition where if you measure a, a fish for its ability to climb a tree, it's going to feel fairly crap about itself. In fact, wasn't Einstein also dyslexic? Well, indeed, yes. Uh, let's Google that and find out afterwards. But okay. yes, so I've got a, it's a bit of a pet argument of mine. Yes, which is, I love it. Is, is, you know, oh, is he dyslexic? Oh, that's a shame. No, it isn't a shame. Actually, it's a gift. It <laughs> needs embracing and different and dyslexia is an absolute gift because, you know, just because I can't, I'm a fish and I can't climb a tree doesn't mean I'm a rubbish fish. Just means I'm a fish. So it means or that, you a know, fish out of water. Doing yes. other things. And that's kind of the thing I I feel that, you know, education gets missed a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, the, the, to not go on too much around about it, but I think the job of education should be, everyone's good at something. They, yes. The job of education should be to find that thing yes. and develop that person in that direction rather than this continual standard sort of, Yes, and there is that perpetual societal struggle yeah. about how, where, who's measuring what, and what's the what, you know what's the system you're measuring against. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna I'm not gonna bang the drum about that anymore. But that's quite I think that's quite an important part of um, you know, well banged yeah, shape me basically. You know, um, early labels of being stupid, and then suddenly realizing in quite an early age that I wasn't, and there's a reason for that. It's this other thing here, and actually yeah. that's a strength, not not a weakness, even though it is seen as that a lot of the time. Lovely. Thank you for banging that particular drum. That was a, that was a delicious reveal. Thank you. Okay, uh, you might have inferred some of this because you've you've amplified particular individuals that have helped you. But three things that have inspired you. Gosh, three things that inspire me that have inspired me or that contend to. Yeah, I suppose I'm always I'm always inspired by art and sculpture and beauty and music um, and kindness uh, and sorry and kindness. Yes. In the, in the way that, that Roland showed me, you know, not that many years ago. But that sort of, you know, it's often seen as a weakness, but I don't think it is. Oh, gosh, but, no, I think it's one of the most profound. Un well, it's it, it, people appreciate it. It's not underrated, but I think kindness is, you know, a delicious quality. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Those, 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 are my, those are my life inspirations for sure. And then uh, two things that never fail to grab your attention. You've said art. Oh, so if there's overlap, it's fine. But what, two things that never fail to, oh, squirrels. Yeah, I'm always a bit like that. So my, the, I, I had this fantastic office manager when I was at Pinewood, a lady called Vicky Joy, and she had a particular way about her, and she said that I suffered from ADOS. And I said, what's that? And she went, attention deficit. Ooh, shiny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm always, always getting distracted. Always getting I love that. That's a brand new label, ADOS. Attention deficit. Oh, shiny, which is another great world exclusive. Exactly. But sometimes the shiny things come around, you know, they just, they're, they're like worth... your mango stone came back 20 I guess, years later. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Yes. So if I may yes. suck on that as a sort of your mango stone. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. And then uh, a quirky or unusual fact about your lol knuckles. We couldn't possibly know until you tell us. Gosh, now that's a really interesting one. The quirky, unusual fact I've chosen to reveal today, Mr. Grimes, is that I went for a job at Buckingham Palace as a trainee footman. Ooh. Back in 1987? Yeah, no, 86. I was 19. I was 19. I was at home. I was unemployed. I was getting under my parents' feet. My mum read this article in The Guardian saying, oh, look, back in Paris, they can't get anyone to work there. Why don't you get yourself up there and go for a job? So I did. And what a weird experience that was. <laughs> yes. We ah. need to do a whole other episode about that. Actually. We really do. That's I've got, such a whole a good... I've got a whole story about that. By the way, you're being 
absolutely wonderful. And indeed, there is, you know, there, it could. Well, I, I think I'm going to ask you back for a second time because I, I know there's this is really juicy. Um, so I would like to ask you more about that. But let's leave that hanging there. OK, let's do Ooh. that. Lovely. OK, now we move away from the tree and we talk about alchemy and gold. When you are at purpose and in flow, uh, lol knuckles, what are you most happy doing and what are you here to reveal to the world? I am most happy making things with my hands. Mostly in clay, actually. That's something that I rediscovered when I was working with lovely Roland up in Pinewood. Sculpting clay is something that I absolutely adore. And if I could do that all day long, every day, that's what I would do. It's gorgeous. Deliberately pausing there to let that <laughs> hang as a great reveal. I mean, unfortunately, I don't get to do that a lot these days because, you know, uh, being a company director at Mangostone, as and Tony finds it exactly the same thing, we are both hands-on guys. And that's one of the great things about, you know, coming back from Pinewood, sort of having something a bit smaller, you can get your hands on these things. But actually, yeah. if you're doing sculpture particularly, you just need to be, kind of zone in. Yes. And do that one thing all day long. And you can't have the phone ringing and you can't have quotes that need doing and who's going to do this next job. You can't have those thoughts in your mind. You just need to do that. Yes, and so many professions suffer from that. I just want to do the teaching or I just want to do the sculpting. Why can't I be creative? So, yes, it's a struggle to be creative. It is. It very is much, problem. very much, because there's all this other noise and all this other stuff that needs dealing with. And so yes. it, it's rare that I get the chance to do that, although I still do occasionally. A little job will come in that I think, you know, I can do that by myself. And Tony will say, he, he will say exactly the same thing. You know, this job's coming. He said, I fancy doing that. Oh, yes. that's great. You do it, you know. And well, we were just a very brief upstaging when you had a dog go behind you and back out again. So that was a lovely bit of upstaging by the pooch. I love that. <laughs> Which one was that? Was that Gwen, the little one? Yes, she's um... uh, well, it was. I, I was trying to work out what breed it was, but it was. Uh, have you, <laughs> yes, uh, so what did you Maybe. say? Was that who did you say the name of the whippet? Gwen, Gwen the whippet. Gwen. Of, Gwen well, the whip. We have two whippets, we have Margot, who's eight. And Gwen, who is six months, and um, they're gorgeous. That's Margot. Uh, Hello, I mean... Margot. <laughs> Lovely <laughs> distraction. And now we award you with a cake. So this is going to go splotch in your face in a minute. And you get to put a cherry on the cake. And this is the legacy of the conversation. And again, this is another multi-layered right. yeah. cake and an invitation yeah. to go deep. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? A leadership quote that's always given you sucker and pulled you towards your future. And uh, finally, inspired by Shakespeare... All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. When all is said and done, lol knuckles, how would you most like to be remembered? <laughs> oh, you're so good at that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Best peak, well, I, best advice. I've been struggling with that, actually. And I, and I think I go back to um, my father-in-law's speech at our wedding. So we got married in France, my, uh, my lovely Dee and myself, and... Um, I'm being distracted again. Look, this whip it. Here she is. This is Gwen. Oh, yeah. Um, and he gave this absolutely inspirational speech. It was bloody marvellous. And um, what was it? There's no friend like an old friend was one of the lines that he used, which I think is a really good one. Yeah. And he said, you can never spend too much time with your family. Um, which, you know, was something that I remembered when I decided to come back to Bristol. Yes. So there's, a, there's a couple there. Um, advice to my younger self. Gosh, I think it would be listen to that inner voice. It's quite difficult not to hear that, isn't it? Ooh, I like you. You're incredibly wise. There's seismic awesomeness to what you're doing. I love that. <laughs> Def definitely listen to your inner voice. 
And if I am speaking to myself, I would, knowing myself as I do, I would, I would advise myself to be less of a people pleaser. I am a bit. Boom. Because you're kind and you're lovely. Well, sure. But, you know, there's, it, yeah, you need to, you combine the two. Less of a people pleaser, unless this inner voice of yours is telling you that's the way to go. Which and now, how would you most like to be remembered? <laughs> I'm going to stick with kindness. I think if I'm remembered as a kind person, then I think that's great. If I may, that's sort of in the bag, I would say. Yeah. Awesome. Also, <laughs> I know you've mentioned Dee. There's a bit of a buy one, get one free, because I'm going to obviously bring Dee, uh, your lovely uh, partner, Dee Riding, into the space at some point too. I do hope so. It should be excellent. And, and indeed, you have been to. You've been a joy to talk to. Where can we find out more about Lowell Knuckles, Lawrence Knuckles and Mango Stone on the interweb, please? Well, you can you can Google www.mangostone.org and see all the lovely work that we're doing. Um, we can't show everything, uh, actually, because a lot of it's top secret film work and all the rest of it. But, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a really great it's a really great company. And, um, you know, Tony and I have just set the place up to be the sort of place that we would like to work in. So um, there we are. That's what it is. Tony so, Tarquini, Lawrence Knuckles, it's all good. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for gracing us with your presence here in the uh, Good Listening to Your Life and Times with me, Chris Grimes. As this is your moment in the sunshine, is there anything else you'd like to say about being here? Um, there's one thing I would like to tell you about, which is happening quite soon, um, which is which kind of goes back to the whole kindness thing. So I was approached by how long have we got, by the way. I'm not going to go about on. a minute and a half, two minutes. So that's that's if you use that time well, it's a long time. I was approached by an artist lady who's some, since become a very good friend of mine, a lady, a lady called Helen Wilson Rowe, who was doing a series, a series Helena of Wilson, Helen Wilson Rowe. She was doing a piece of work about a lady called Henrietta Lacks, who not many people have heard of. So Henrietta Lacks was an African-American lady who died in Baltimore in 1951 from cervical cancer. The John Hopkins Hospital retained some of her cells, which was common practice in those days, probably still is, for research. And they discovered that her cells have the unique ability to regenerate themselves in a Petri dish, which makes them invaluable for research. This has never happened before in the history of humankind or since. They are known as healer cells. And they are in every medical lab across the world. And they have been used to develop most of the vaccines across the world. And Helen's body of work is culminating next month in Bristol because she is about to install the first public sculpture uh, made by, a, made by a, a black British woman uh, in the UK of Henrietta Lacks. And it's going into Bristol University uh, the first part of, I think it's the first week of October and wow. um, it's come full circle she came to me 10 years ago for this little piece of work that she wanted to do up in the science museum yeah something i was working for at the time weren't interested because there was no money in it but i said this has to be done this is great yes. i'm just gonna do it can i just borrow the workshop in the evenings and that's what we did and we put wow. it in and 10 years later her work has kind of gone on and on and on and on and on and yeah she's 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 managed to she, she's a painter, not a sculptor, I have to say. So she came yes. into the Langostone workshop and was schooled by our resident, talented sculptor man, a guy called Matthew Healy. Yes, uh, who I've also seen the wonderful work of during the pandemic, actually. Uh, ah, we, we, I have to yes, get us out of here fairly soon. Uh, but uh, well, um, that's, that's, that's in a, that's in a so, so So the kindness thing, supporting this lady in her early work, has ended up 
just you know helping her to to play it know, forward uh, reciprocity lovely qualities yeah, and yeah absolutely so you never know where these things are going to go so it's the kind of thing but with the little voice tells you whether that's the right direction to go and so relatable yeah. because of the the comedy improvisational mindset i like of yes and yes and yes and just say yes more and positive things happen <laughs> yes <laughs> Lol, thank you so much for gracing us with your presence oh, here in the good listening to show uh, and your life and times of nikos grimes it's also been live on facebook as a bit of an experiment within the hashtag lol virus group so any listeners do check out that as well uh, thank you very much indeed and Good night. You've been listening to the Good Listening To Show here on UK Health Radio with me, Chris Grimes. Oh, it's myself. If you've enjoyed the show, then please do tune in next week to listen to more stories from The Clearing. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do so. There's also a dedicated Facebook group for the show too. You can contact me about the programme, or if you'd be interested in experiencing some personal impact coaching with me, care of my Level Up Your Impact programme, that's chris at secondcurve.uk. On Twitter and Instagram, it's... At that Chris Grimes. So until next time, from me, Chris Grimes, from UK Health Radio, and from Stan... To your good health. And goodbye.